darkened. If we're not on the right page with God, then your heart's darkened and you're, you're not doing what's right. Professing themselves to be wise, they become fools. In my time in the church, I've seen a number of times, whether it be, we want to always go back and say, we want to judge the ministry for it. But I've seen people who would teach vain doctrines. They profess that, hey, I am wise, I understand these things. I've seen that even here in this property, that they know so much more. But God says they're foolish. And a foolish person is going to be the one that God's not going to allow to come into the kingdom of God. He's not going to be able to be there. Another place, Jeremiah chapter 12. We think. We think we know God. We say we know God. But do we really know Him? Do we really understand what God's doing, what He wants from us? Jeremiah 12, verse 2. You have uh, planned them, uh, and yes, they have taken root. You planted them, they've taken root. They grow, yes, they bring forth fruit. You are near to them, uh, to their mouth, and far from their reins. So here he's saying, God planted you. You're growing. You put out roots. You're, we're near to God with our mouth. We talk of God. We talk of godly things. But it's said in our heart is not there. It's got to be a way of life that you're living. And, and we sometimes don't realize that it's, it's that way of life that we're living that's important. So I can say, hey, I know God. I know Christ. And I can profess that. But if you look at my life, does my life say the same thing? Verse chapter 29 of Isaiah. Chapter 29 of Isaiah. Isaiah 29, beginning verse 13. 29, 13. Wherefore, the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near to me with their mouth, and with their lips do they honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precepts of men. So, he's getting saying, we can claim to be Christians. We can claim to be in God's church. We can say these things, but what does our example show? Does our example show that we're in the church? I said, think about that. And I, I've gone over this for a couple of days, and I'm, I find I've got a lot of things to change. I do not want to be one of those that Christ is going to turn his back on just don't want to be there. Wherefore, behold, verse 14, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among the people, 
even a marvelous work and a wonder for the wisdom of the wise men shall perish and the understanding of, of their prudent shall uh, men shall lay hot and shall hid woe unto them that seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord and their works are in the dark and they say who sees us who knows us do we look at it that way I can do whatever I want because hey does God see me does God look down from this because I don't think myself and, and and it's easy as a human being. I mean, we can judge another person, but but are we judging ourselves? I've heard many stories of people that they, they blame the problems of their life on another person. And it's not the way God looks at it. So can I say and get by with the fact that I can say, uh, I know God. I know Him. I I love Him, and I talk to everybody around me. We we all have. We know that. Hey, I am a real, true Christian. But what's on the outside is that what's on the inside. It's like that orange that was so bitter it turned you inside out. They look good. They look good. But that's not what was inside. And that's the way we can get to be as people. With each other. We can we can visit each other, we can tell who we are, what we do, how we know God, we know all these things, but what do we do when we close the doors? Does God see it? Yes, He sees what you are. But do we understand that God sees what we are too? God knows your thoughts. He knows who you are. That's why He can say, I don't know you. We can hide. But we can say, but God doesn't, doesn't know me. But He does. Hebrews chapter 4. God knows who you are. You didn't come to this work because you are so uh, so knowledgeable or so good. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit, and of the joints and the marrow, and discerning of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Your thoughts, God is looking down at. He sees your thoughts. He sees your intent. He knows who each and every one of us are. He can see it. We can camouflage it to ourselves. We can be 
we can be self-deceptive. Basically, we can deceive ourselves into thinking that we are real good Christians. But God looks at your heart. He knows who you are. He looks inside you. He watches you every day. So He knows what you're doing. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 20. Where He just says, Again, the Lord knows the thoughts and of the wise that they are vain. Because some people think, I am so intelligent and so knowledgeable and have all these things. But he says, they're vain because they don't do what he wants. He knows what their heart's doing. He knows how little they have. You know, in Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart of man is very deceptive. It's fantastically deceptive. He can lead himself in a lot of different ways. But God says, I know your thoughts. I try the reins. So I'm going to find out. You say this, I'm going to find out if that's what you say. If what you say is true, what you think is fine. So as a person, we can think we know God, but God already is ahead of you. He's so far ahead of us as There's no way you can compare it. We're like a handful of sand and he thinks on a vast universe of billions of stars. And we've only got a little handful of sand. It's so far ahead of us. So he, he knows what we're thinking. He knows what we're doing. And if we think that we're doing it right, give it another thought. So we say, then what am I going to do? I want to be a part of God's state of life. So what happens? We get baptized. And we have hands laid on us. And what happens there? God gives us a little bit, just enough of His Spirit, of His way of life. He gives just enough to get you energized into doing the right things. But is that all it takes? You know, he tells us in Second Corinthians 1, verses 21 and 22, Christ says, Now he which establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is, is God. God anointed us, who has also sealed us. So he's anointed us, and he's sealed us, and has given us just a small amount of His Spirit to get us started. Is that all we need? Sometimes we say, and I've heard this so many times in my life, God, please give me more of Your Spirit. We're expecting God, and I, when I look back at this and thought about it back in the 60s and the 70s, uh, it wasn't said, pray, pay, and stay. But it was sort of on that same line. You know, you pray, you uh, you study the Bible, and when the time comes to go into the kingdom of God, He's just going to open your head up and He's going to pour all this knowledge of what to do and how to do it in your head. Is that, is that true? No. I don't think so. 
I don't think he's going to, if you aren't getting it today, you have a little bit of a spirit. But is that all we have to do? So we say, please God, and I heard this a lot, even out here. Please give us more of your spirit, God. Please give us more of your spirit. Did Stephen ask for God's spirit? Or did he do something? He didn't just go up and say, I need the Spirit so when I face these people, I can have the knowledge and the understanding and the depth of love and compassion for you. And do. No. He worked at it. He worked at it. Or he wouldn't have been there. In Philippians 12, it tells us, or 2, Philippians says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation. You have to put something into it. Remember the Bereans? They were more noble than the Thessalonians because what they heard, when they heard a sermon, they sat down, they took the scriptures out, they searched the scriptures. Is that true? I've brought this out before. We hear sermons. We hear what God says. But do we go back and say, well, let's see. Is that what it says? Maybe they didn't put it in the right order. Maybe they used it to... So the Bereans, what they do is they search the Scriptures every day to see if what was said was true and then change their lives to go along with it. So what do we do? Can we say, God... Please give me more of your spirit. I, I need more of that spirit. I, I need more to uh, in my life. Sounds to me like uh, some of the people around here who want to own the property, but they don't want to put anything into it. Or like the people over in in the the homeless people or the uh, people that just don't want to work and they want somebody to give them something for nothing. God's not going to do that. He's already said, I will analyze your life and if you're not the right person, what are you doing here? Who are you? Who, who am I? Am I something special? You know? Does God owe me His Spirit? Does He owe it to me? Does He owe it to you? He don't owe it to you. God is God. He has everything and He wants you. But He doesn't owe it to you. Matthew 11, verse 29. Where Christ speaking out, He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. He wants you to do something more than just say, give me your spirit. It's not going to happen. No more than it. When I was self-employed, I learned real quick. The more I put in, the more I get out. The less I put in, the less I get out. So the more you put into God's way of life, the more you're going to get out of it. Luke chapter 13, verse 24. 
where he said before I read, strive at the right gate, for many will seek to enter in and shall not be able to. Because he said to strive, and look, work hard. It's not easy. It's not an easy life. Was it easy for Isaiah, Daniel, Noah? It wasn't easy for any of those people. So you have to work for what you get. Go to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. God expects something from you and from me. And sometimes a whole lot more than sometimes we're willing to give. Verse 7. Galatians 6 verse 7. Do not deceive. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that he's also going to reap. For he that sows to his flesh shall reap corruption. So, you know, we're, we're to do things. We're to work hard. If, if, if we're lazy, you know, Proverbs, uh, Ecclesiastes, all tell us that if you're lazy, you're, you're not going to make it. So here, what we sow, what we're going to reap, if we reap to the flesh, strive to get this job, strive to do better in this life, we're going to just reap corruption. But he that sows to the Spirit shall uh, of the Spirit reap everlasting life. So he said what we've got to do is work at getting God's Spirit. We have to get and work at getting God's Spirit because that's not easy. There is a place there in Galatians, verse chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 tells you what the Spirit is. We think the Spirit is being, or at least most of the world thinks the Spirit of God is the third being in the Trinity, and that's not it. God's Spirit is who God is. That's who He is. Verse 18, But if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Look at each one of these things in your life. This is the human spirit he gives up here. Can you look at any of those and think, hey, that fits my life. So do I have God's spirit or do I have man's spirit or satanical spirit? So go through every one of them. Idolatry, uh, witchcraft, hatred, you know, uh, envying, murder, drunkenness, you know. Is there anything in here that fits my life? If that's the case, then I have a satanical spirit and I don't have God's spirit. But he goes on in verse 22. But the fruits of the spirit, fruits are what you do. It's who you are. You know, you go to a tree, and the tree was a beautiful fruit, but it was bad inside. 
or you go to a, an apple tree or the peach trees and stuff we had around here, and you eat that, and they're very good. So the fruit is what the tree is. So you are what the tree is. So you can take each one of these, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and take each one and analyze your life. I want more of God's Spirit, okay? God's Spirit is love. Look at your life. Love is God, is uh, keeping His commandments, and chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians uh, goes through what love is. What about joy? You have joy in your life where you have sorrow or sadness or hatred or misery or just not wanting to be here, try to find fault with everything around you. Or are you enjoying life that God's given to you and the opportunity to be here and enjoy what God gives to us? How about peace? Are you at peace with each other? Are you at peace with God? You want God's Spirit? This is God's Spirit. Peace, love, joy. How about long-suffering? Look at old Jonah. I mean, uh, Job. Here was a guy who was considered one of the righteous people in the world. And yet, Job was put under an extreme pressure. <laughs> you have bottles all over your body. That's extreme pressure. All because God was giving us an example for us. Long-suffering. He suffered quite a bit. His wife said, curse God and die. But he endured it, didn't he? He endured what he was put through. How about gentleness? Do you treat each other gently? I know I have a difficulty with that. <laughs> I have a difficulty treating people with, with gentleness. It's easier to be harsh and pushy and stuff. And there's a lot of pushy people in the world. But I want God's Spirit too. And so I can say, am I gentle? How about goodness? Do I do things that are good? Or do I take the other approach? Be faith. How deep, how trusting is my faith? A lot of times our faith is really tried when we get sick. I mean, it's really tried. And you have to face it. When you're, you're at that point that you could live or die, how strong is your faith? That's part of God's Spirit, though, remember? You're asking, I want more of God's Spirit. So sometimes when we say, God, I want more of your Spirit, what's He going to do? He's going to give you a trial? That's going to involve faith? A trial that might involve a lot of other things. I want God's Spirit, but maybe sometimes I don't ask the right things, you know. I can say, hey, I want more of your Spirit. God says, how about faith? You want my faith tried? Are you meek and temperate? I want God's Spirit, but am I going to keep on saying, God... Uh, 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 I want your spirit so you're going to say, well, let's try peace. 
I'm going to throw you in a situation to find out whether you're going to put peace out. You're asking sometimes for God's Spirit. And He sees a weakness. And are you ready to uh, accept that, <laughs> that weakness? Because that could be pretty trying. Uh, I had a wife die. Daryl had a wife die. And that became very strong on their faith and our faith, too. I, I can tell you, it's a very difficult thing. And it's a crying on your faith. So you say, God, please give me more of your spirit. So he said, okay, here's, here's, the, here's something you're weak on. And if you pass that test, he can come up and say, well done. Or, who in the world are you? Where did you come from? What cat drug you in the door? You know? So, can we keep on saying, God, I need, I need more of your faith. So here's, here's a place to go to. Galatians 5. How about Philippians 4, verse 8? You want to know what God's Spirit is? You want to ask for God's Spirit? Look at every one of those things and say, okay, uh, maybe I better work on this before I ask God to throw it at me because He's going to want to know do I have His Spirit, His mind. His Spirit is His mind, His way of life, the way He lives things. So I have to ask myself that. Philippians 3, verse 13. Philippians 3, 13. Paul speaking, telling us in the church, Brethren, I count not myself to be apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind. Oh. So every day God gives us another, a new day, a new trial. Do we just sit there and reverse and you know, or back and go back over the things I could have done or should have done and dwell on those, or do I take each day, say, did things before, I'm going to change. I'm going to do I want God's Spirit so it requires me to change something. So I forget the things which are behind. And reach for and do the things which are before me. What's before us? To be a part of the family? To do what's right and just and good? So I want to reach for the things before me. Paul goes on to say, I press toward the mark for the prize, the high calling of God in Emmanuel. That's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be striving to get to that point. And it's difficult sometimes. So I'm not going to sit there and say to God, uh, I need more faith. I'm, I'm afraid what he might do. If my faith is weak, or I might say, I need more patience. Uh, do I want things to be thrown at me that's going to do that? No, I'm going to forget those things. And I'm going to think what take the fruits of the Spirit. I'm going to work on them the best I can without being forced into it. Hebrews 6, 
Hebrews 6. Hebrews 6, verse 10 and 11. Hebrews 6, 10 and 11. For God is not unrighteous to forget your works and your labor of love. So, he says, I know who you are. I know your thoughts. I know who you are. I know what you do, what you don't do. I know your labor. I know you. I know who you are. I know what you do. Which you have showed toward his name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. He says, I look out there and I see that you help other people. You, you, you do your best to help them achieve the goal. You know, James, we're told, if you see a brother or sister make a mistake, you go and help them. You don't go and tell every Tom, Dick, and Harry what's going on. You don't point out their mistakes. But you take in love and you help them. You help them achieve the goal of being part of God and not being thrown out, cast out because God doesn't know you. And we desire that every one of you do show the same intelligence to the full assurance of the hope unto the end. We work to the end. So we know, Robert Armstrong said for years, you know, we see all these things happening, but we know the end. Or do we? Can we really say, I really know the end. I know what's going to happen. Well, yeah, we know that there's going to be a bride. We know that there's going to be a thousand years reign of Christ on the earth. We know that. But do we know whether we're going to be there or not? We want to. Or at least we say we want to, like the scripture said earlier. We say we know God. We say we know what He wants. We say we know these things. But do we do them? And everybody's different. So we can't look at somebody else. I can't look at another person and judge them because uh, I can do these things. Well, I, a lot of things I can't do. A lot of things you can't do. We're going to go to Matthew 25. There's a lot in Matthew 25. If you look at it in, in a way that will help you as a person, um, we're not all equal. Sometimes we think we all have the same abilities, but we don't. In Matthew 25, there's the parable of the talents. Verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country. And he called his servants and delivered them to them his goods. And to one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one. And to every man according to his several ability, and straightway he left. So God looks at everybody. He says, you're different than me. So 
I know that this person can do many things. He's got that capability. He showed me over the years that he can do these things. And this other person here can cannot do quite as much, but he can do a number of things. And then there's one person who whose abilities are, are limited. He can only do one thing. So he's saying to us, we're not equal. We're not equal. I can't go up here and tell you I can take Daryl's job. I can't do that. I'm not capable of doing that. And neither are you. Or if you were, God has already given it to you. So God chose a bunch of people and gave them jobs. What he's saying here, he gave them a job to do. But he knows who you are. And so what do we find as we go down through there? We find that the one with five talents worked hard. He worked hard. And he doubled that talent. So he was able to expand what God gave to him. And the person with two, he expanded and doubled him. So now he's got four. And one person with one said, Why? I'm just as good as they are. I'm just as good as this man or that person. So we take what God gave us a talent. And it doesn't, you know, it's in what you do in your life. It's how you use your life. Now, if you work hard and you expand it and you, you expand your mind and your ability and your work, not only in the, the church, but also in your daily life. Because God's got a job to be done in the future. We're here in a training ground. This is just training ground. It's temporary. And we're trying to show God we can do a job that he gave us to do. Now, if we, we have a talent, I don't care if it's digging ditches or sweeping floors or, you know, being a CEO of a company. He expects you to do that to the best of your abilities. But if you sit back and say, well, I don't want to do that. We have a crutch. We all have crutches for one reason or other. That's the justification of why I don't do what I do, what I'm supposed to do. That's what happened with this person here. He's, he had one job, but he found a way to justify not doing what he was required to do. His crutch. I could say, well, I don't read very good. But I, I don't let that push me down. I force him to read. I force my read. And I have to sometimes go to the dictionary and find out what this, I do it on the computer so I can get and push a little button that tells me what the word is. But, you know, I have a crutch, but I don't let that keep me back from doing things. So I have a crutch in spelling, a crutch in and I can go back and say, well, that's all because when I was in the first and second grade, I didn't learn uh, phonics. That isn't a valid answer. That's just a crutch. That's just to say, I don't want to do it. 
So I have to go beyond. So if God gives you a talent, I don't care what it is, He expects you to do it. You're to become a king and a priest, right? Don't we, don't we believe that? He's offered that to be in us. Revelation chapter 5, uh, in, I think Peter tells us that, that we're to be kings and priests. You know, we can go and find out what it is to be a king and a priest. We can't use the crutch and say, well, <laughs> I'm just a lonely little old guy. I don't know much. I can't do very much. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, Whatever your hand finds to do, put everything into it. Everything. I raised eight children. And one of the things I used to kill, every one of them, nothing will keep you back that you want to do. And every one of them has pleased me in the fact that they are very intelligent, and very resourceful and very much workable. So, what about you? And the talent God's given to you. I don't care what it is. Do you sit back and have a crutch and say, well, I can't do that. <laughs> I don't have a way to do that. Yeah, there is. Where there is a will, there is a way. If you want to put it to it. God's going to take the person that says, I just can't do it. I don't want to do it. I'm not going to do it. Who are you? He's going to say, you want to be a king and a priest. You want to know how to become a king and a priest? Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. You want to know how to be a king and a priest? This is an example. How to become a king and a priest? Are you going to use a crutch and say, well, I never had the education for it? This is a true saying. If a man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. God says, you can be a king and a priest. Is that wanting to be a bishop? You want to know what to do? Read that. Because it tells you how to become a king or a priest. What you have to do. You can't just sit back and do nothing. If you're doing nothing, then you're the one that God's going to say, Who are you? Where'd you come from? I don't know who you are. I should have stayed there in Matthew 5. I should have told you over there. We're going back to Matthew 5. So you want to know how to be a king and a priest? He tells you in 1 Timothy 3, in Titus, read those things. That's to everybody. Because you've been offered to be a king. You should be wanting to be the bride. You should be wanting to be a king or a priest, whatever it is that God's going to give to you. Do you want to know how to do it? He gives us directions. This book is a teaching tool. It's no good, like any tool, it's no good if it sits on the shelf. A tool is no good fixing a tire if you don't take the, the lug wrench out. You aren't going to change the tire. You can look at it and say, change the tire, change the tire. 
But if you don't get the tools right, it's not going to work. So this Bible is a tool, and it gives us instructions on what to do. Back here again in Matthew 25, the first, the first verse. It talks about ten virgins. Here's ten people, virgins. They're part of the church. Five of them did something more than sit down and take notes or sit in church services and sing songs or stay at their house or whatever it is. Five of them put some effort into it. They're like the Boreans. The other five said, Lord, I need more of your spirit. Okay? I need more of your spirit. Well, do something. Well, I need more of your spirit. Just give me more of your spirit. I don't want to work for it. What happened to the five virgins that uh, were just lazy people? Basically. They came and knocked on the door and Christ said, the door shut. I don't know who you are. Think about that. Think about whether you want to be in the kingdom of God, be a king or a priest or a bride, or you just want God to give it to you. There's too many people in this world that just want things given to them. Have to put some effort out. That's no. That's too much. That's just too much to do. So we have in front of us God's spirit versus man's spirit. We can take man's spirit, which is generally being pretty lazy in most areas, just like the ten virgins, five of them. Hey, give me of your spirit. See what they said? Give me of your spirit. And five of them said, we can't do that. What did he say to the in chapter Revelation 3 to the Laodicean church? You people think you have it made, but I don't know you, do I? He told them to go out there and work Buy it, whatever it takes. You have a chance. Time's not up yet. Time's not over. We still have it. We're still alive, and we still we still have freedoms, and we still have abilities, and we can make changes. So we can either go back to Galatians five, read the fruits of a man, the spirit of human beings, the spirit of Satan. Or we can go back and read the Spirit of God and analyze every one of those spirits and say, okay, I'm lacking in this one, so I'm going to put some effort to develop because I want more of God's Spirit. God is going to look at each one of us. He knows who you are. He knows your thoughts. We think we know God, but do we really know God? So if we're 
brought up in front of a trial someplace where they look back on your life and say, well, let's see, he fudged in this and this and this. He was laxed on this area. Um, this person, um, oh, I know him. Oh, I know her. Uh, you give them a little push and they'll, they'll go the other way. Or will they say, you can push that person all you want. They're not going to bend. They are there doing what God asked them to do. So you have a choice. You have a choice. You can have Christ say to you, I don't know you. What are you doing here? Or the choice of putting your heart effort, energy into everything you do, working on getting God's Spirit, and having God say to you, as He did to the people that He gave the talents to, the man with ten talents, the man with five, I mean, with five talents, the man with two talents, you can say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter in to the joy of your Lord. It's up to you.